Pastor Mark announced February is Bring a Friend Month. Raise your hand if you know someone in your life who doesn't know Jesus as Savior. Raise your hand up. If your hand's not up, wow, are you surrounded by only Christians? I want to beat you. <laughs> uh, but hey, we all know people who don't know Christ. And Jesus said, go and make disciples. And he didn't just say that to pastors. He said that to everyone. So we want to go. We want to be a church that doesn't just come and gather and grow. We want to actually go and seek the lost, right? The Son of Man came into the world to save sinners and to seek the lost. So the way we express that is by taking that risk, courageously reaching out to people with, with an invitation to come to church. So um, raise your hand if you got these church invites on, on your way into church this morning. You're handing some of them out. All right, if you didn't get them, there's stacks of them on the way out. But this is an easy way, a simple way. It just says right at the top, you're invited, and it gives our church address. So many people don't have a good church uh, to call home, and maybe they haven't even been to church 
you know, in a decade. So my challenge to our church in February is for us collectively to invite 1,000 people to church. Now, if we have about 500 people here on any given weekend, you know, if most people invite two or three people, we're going to get there. So I would love for you to take the risk and to hand out an invitation. Hey, how many of you are going to a Super Bowl party today? Raise your hand. You know, you can just stand up there during halftime and be like, you're all invited to my church. Then be like, 10. <laughs> Done. And I actually want you, starting next week, to write in the connection book how many people you've invited to church, just in the upper corner. We're going to track that. We're going to say, hey, as a church, we've invited five people, 10 people, 20 people. Um, and maybe you want to set a goal of how many people to invite. I'd love for you to get creative. I'd love for you to get courageous. Uh, but don't you, don't you want to be a church that is reaching the lost, right? The last thing I want to be is a church that's just shuffling Christians around. I would love it if we got 50 new people this year who weren't coming to church instead of 100 who came from other churches, right? And, and this is the question. What kind of a church do we want to be? One of our pillars is evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. So, so reach out and invite people to, yes, there are Christians who need a church. Don't skip that. Don't be like, well, my pastor said not to invite you because you're a Christian. You know, invite them too. But, but reach out to people who don't know Christ personally. All right, so February is Bring a Friend Month, and get on board with that. We're going to get into God's Word now in Romans chapter 5. Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. As we track through the, the book of Romans, we are finding out who gets saved. We're finding out how we get saved. And this book is written by a man who killed Christians. This book is written by a man who threw Christians in jail, men and women. He threw them in jail. He hated Christ. He hated the gospel. And his life was radically transformed by Jesus, the Apostle Paul. Now he's telling us how we can be right with God. So the title of the sermon today is Peace with God. The question that this text seeks to answer is, how can we know that we actually have peace with God? Now, I don't mean peace in your heart. That's the peace of God. I'm not talking about that peace. I'm talking about the peace with God, meaning you and God in a right relationship forever. That implies that your starting point was you had a wrong relationship with God. Something needed to change to fix that. So in Romans 5, the title is Peace with God. Let's pray, and then we'll learn how we can have peace with God. Father, we thank you for your word. We know that your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, judging the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We invite you, Lord, to work within us through your word right now. Test us, O Lord, and try us. Examine our hearts and minds. Show us your will. Show us your ways that we might fear you and know you and have peace with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says this. Therefore, pause. Whenever there's the therefore in the Bible, there's a reason. Therefore means he just spent four chapters saying this stuff. And now he's going to summarize it before he moves on. So this sermon now looks back to the first chunk of Romans. That whole chunk could be summarized in one word, salvation. The first four verses so far has all been about salvation, how we can be right with God. Now he's going to transition into sanctification. Salvation is how we're saved. Sanctification is how we're changed. But this verse here, these verses here now look back and ahead, so we're going to cover both. Therefore, 
Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Write this down, number one. Do you have peace in your position with God? Do you have peace in your position with God? It says in verse 2, through him, that's Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What's described here is a standing. What's described here is a relationship, something that's permanently in place between you and God. That's what I mean when I say, do you have peace in your position with God? Are you rightly positioned with God? Do you have a perfect legal standing with the judge? This isn't the fluctuating relationship that happens on a daily basis between you and God. I'm talking about where are you with God, like period. Do you have peace in your position with God? You can sort Bible commands and expectations into two categories. There are truths about my position in faith, and there are also truths about my progression in faith. Now, your position in faith has to get right first. Then your progression in faith can grow. Many people, this is so important, many people live their whole lives with these two things switched. And if you don't get them unswitched, you won't go to heaven, okay? If you spend your whole life trying to progress in faith, but you've never gotten right with God in the first place, you're on the wrong road. This life is not about a progression of trying to get up to God, and then in the end, you find out if you made it. That's the wrong road. The right road is your position gets settled with God right now through faith in Christ, and it is finished, and it's done. Then you spend your life progressing in faith, not to make God happy, but because you've already learned to love him, because you've already been made right by him. If you don't unswitch those, if you don't get those things right, you're going to be on the wrong road forever. My position before God can be one of peace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then I can progress with him on a daily basis. The truth that you have to accept based on God's word is this. You need peace with God because you were born at war with God. If you disagree with the Bible on your starting point with God, you'll never get right with God. If you're like, oh, God and me, we've been besties since birth. When I was a baby, I loved him. You don't, you got to see in the Bible that we were born at war with God. Even if you were raised in a Christian household, you should know better than other people about the war that has been waged, not only in heaven, there's war in heaven, but it's spilled over into our hearts. We're all born on the wrong team. There has to come a point when we cross over from darkness to light, from death to life, right? And that only happens when we put our faith in Christ and our parents can't do that for us. So if we're born at war with God, we must accept his terms for peace and we must surrender. Then we enter into a right relationship with him. Has that happened in your life? One of my favorite stories from World War II, we've got a picture here, is when the generals from the German army saw many of their soldiers were surrendering. And so they showed up, and they started trying to negotiate an overall peace. So here's the next picture of German generals showing up to meet with Field Marshal Montgomery. Uh, and, and all day long, the German generals were haggling. Well, well, we tell you what, why don't you just let our soldiers slowly go back to Germany, and you kind of slowly pursue us, and then no one will die. And Field Marshal Montgomery is like, this is a war. 
I'm not going to let you just go home, okay? You can surrender or you can fight. All day long, well, what if we just surrender the Eastern troops? And Montgomery's like, no. So he told him to come back the next day because he was so frustrated. The next day, same thing happened in the morning. Well, what if we did this? What if we did this? So finally, after lunch, he said to them, listen, number one, you will completely and entirely surrender your entire army to me, a million troops, right now. That's number one. Number two, once you have completed number one, then I will tell you what I'm going to do with your troops and your materials and your civilians. That's number two. Number three, if you don't complete number one, then I will continue to destroy your army and all of your civilians might die. One, two, three. That's surrender. That's surrender. None of this, well, can I keep my guns? Well, can our civilians be saved? That's a surrender, all right? One, two, three. Here's a picture of them in the tent actually signing the documents. He, after he said that to them, he walked, the war was so far advanced, he didn't care. He walked them into the tent and showed them the battle map, how their soldiers were surrounded and cut off. He's like, I would be delighted to continue this war. Give me the word. They sat and they signed because they realized their destruction was sealed. Listen, that's a portrait of surrender. Have you surrendered to God? When did the hostility between you and Jesus end? When did the rebellion that was waged from your early days come to an end? If you say, well, I'm just good with God, but you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, you're not looking at the battle map, okay? Living independently of God will cost you everything soon. It's time to lay down your arms and raise the white flag and say, God, it's over. It's done. I'm sorry. Do you have peace in your position with God? It says here that therefore we have, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Jot this down. Jesus must justify us. He must justify us. This is a legal term. So here we are in the courtroom and uh, we're wrong with God. We, so the Bible uses many different metaphors to describe where we stand with God. One, one metaphor is he's a judge, we're at court, and we've broken the law. Okay, so he, therefore, must justify us. The word justify, I've shared this the last few weeks, when you've been justified in God's court, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. If you're justified by Christ, God looks at you and he sees it as if you've never sinned. But before that, our condition, we're called outlaws. We are lawbreakers. We are not in a right legal standing with God. Now, in, in 1993, the most amazing movie of the 90s came out. It was called Tombstone. How many of you saw the movie Tombstone in the 90s? I watched movies because I wasn't save, saved yet. Uh, <laughs> many of you grew up and, and you couldn't watch movies, and I pity you. But I saw the movie Tombstone. Uh, and there were some pretty awesome uh, cowboys, heroes in the movie, right? You've got Wyatt Earp, uh, Doc Holliday. Here's a picture of the villains, though, the villains, right? And uh, the, the villains from the movie, you've got, who are they? Johnny Ringo, right? And uh, you've also got Curly Bill, Curly Bill and, and Johnny Ringo, and they're trying, oh, we're trying to just wreak havoc, just going out into the streets and howling at the moon and shooting whoever they want. And they've got to be stopped. The whole movie is about trying to get rid of the outlaws in the wild, wild west, right? 
The idea of us being outlaws, being outside of the law, being, just causing all sorts of legal mayhem with those who are trying to keep peace describes our starting point with God. Jesus, therefore, must justify us. And we can't love Jesus until we hate our sin. We really can't love Jesus until we realize our tremendous legal problems. Okay, we, we have such bad legal problems, you know, even the best attorney on earth can't get us out of our legal problems in heaven. And we will stand before God's court of law. And if Jesus is there standing between us and the judge, we could be justified. We could be free to go. The charges will be dropped. The case will be dismissed. In John 8, 36, Jesus says this, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Have you asked Jesus to justify you? Have you, have you brought Jesus all of your legal problems? You see those billboards all the time, right? <laughs> there they are, you know, in a wreck, you know, call Glenn. And there's this picture of this attorney up there with a phone number, right? Or there's like health injuries, you know, exposed to asbestos, call this number, get what you deserve. You know, and, and there's all of these like legal advertisements of how someone can advocate you. Uh, but the problem is, you're the one on the hook, right? You've not been wronged. You're the one who has wronged. And the one you've wronged is the eternal judge. We'll have our day in court. Only faith in Jesus brings us peace with God. And here it says that we can be justified and then we have peace with God, which means that's permanent. We are justified for good. It's over. It's finished. It's done. What amazing news is that? So do you have peace in your position with God Jesus must justify us. Then it goes on to say this. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So jot this down. Jesus must reconcile us. Jesus must reconcile us. We have to understand uh, the crucial role that Jesus Christ plays in the process of peace. Without Jesus, we could never be brought near to God. Jesus is the one who mediates this broken relationship between us and God. So Jesus isn't just teaching us how to do something. Jesus is the path. He is the mediator. He's the one who stands between us and God, puts a hand on each of us, and reconciles us when we have been hostile toward God. In the book of Job, you know the story of Job, right? He was a righteous man, and he was a rich man, and he was honoring God. And then Satan incited God against him and said, well, he only worships you because you've given him all this stuff. Take the stuff away, and he'll curse you to your face. Satan, or God said, it's on. Go after him. And so Job took away his wealth. All his kids died on the same day, and, and Job said, uh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Right? He worshiped God. And Satan kept going after Job and going after Job, and Job realized that he was not being treated fairly. So he longed for some way to, to, to get to God. He longed for someone. He realized he couldn't just go up and talk to God. So listen to what he said in Job 9, 32 to 33. He said, For he is not a man, as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. Jesus changed that. Jesus became the man. 
who stepped down from heaven. Jesus became the arbiter. Only Jesus, because he was 100% divine, could represent God to man. And only Jesus, because he was 100% human, can represent man to God. That's what makes Jesus one of a kind. Sure, there have been great political figures and military figures and great teachers and, and speakers throughout history, but Jesus was one of a kind. There has never been anyone like him. What makes Jesus so special? Well, he was 100% God and 100% man. That means he's the only one who can stand between us and God. Jesus must reconcile us. The humanity and the deity of Jesus makes him the only mediator authorized to bring peace between us and God. If you follow any other leader, if you trust any other teacher, that person is not authorized to represent you in God's court. Uh, that person is not family with God who can bring you in from the outside. And again, our starting point with God is we are strangers, we are aliens, we are exiles, and somebody must welcome us back. Only Jesus is qualified to do that. Do you have peace in your position with God? Jesus must justify us, and Jesus must reconcile us. It says here in verse 2, through him we have also obtained access by faith. So jot this down, Jesus must give us access to God. Access. The word access is a powerful word, right? Uh, there's that show, what is it, Access Hollywood, right? Because people want to get behind the scenes and find I don't watch it, please. <laughs> he watches that show? No, I don't care. But I know a lot of people do because they can't just go to Hollywood and, and find out what the stars are doing, right? What, what's with all the tabloids? Why do they sell so much? Because people want to know what's going on between Brad and Angelina. I don't care. But people love access to places that they can't go. And heaven is one place that you can't access. You can't just barge in. You can't just be like, I'm here. You can't access it without assistance. Access is an important word. Have you ever forgotten a password, tried to log into something, and you can't log in? Raise your hand if you've ever, don't lie in church. Raise your hand if you've ever tried to access something, and then you're like, what was that password? And then you type it in once. No, you type it in twice, and then suddenly they give you a limit. After two more times, you will be locked out. Now there's pressure. Oh, no! No. Ah, oh, I've got one chance left. What is it? What is it? And then when you try once more and fail, you're locked out. And then you've got to call customer service, which is like a death sentence. I'm going to rot on the phone while I try and figure out whose brilliant idea it was to only give me four chances to remember. We've got 100 passwords. They only give me four chances to remember, and I can't access my account. Right? And then sometimes, this is, this is what creates sibling warfare. One child grabs the other child's phone and tries to hack into it, right? But if you enter the wrong password on an iPhone long enough, what happens? Locked out. You've been locked out. So we had, we had like an earlier iPhone, and no one will admit it. But someone in our house kept trying and trying and trying. We got locked out for some insane, not like, you've been locked out for 15,229 minutes. Right? And then the other child is mortified. I can't get into my phone. No access. This whole idea of being able to access something shows what only Jesus can do. Right? Just like you need a login to access your bank accounts, uh, just like you need a passport to access another country, just like you need a key to access your car, Jesus is the only way you can access God's grace. He's the only way. 
And if you try any other way to get into God's grace, you're locked out. You're locked out. And, and it's ideal for us to see that now rather than when we end up at the gates and we're turned away. Now is the time to hear what God's word says. He has made a way for us to access. And Christ is the way and the truth and the life. If we're trying any other way, we're just locking ourselves out. So Jesus must give us access to God. And what a glorious truth it says here. We have obtained access by faith, <clears throat> that's faith in Christ, into this grace in which we stand. Which means it's done. We're, we're in there. We're, we're logged in. Right? Whenever those little pop-ups come up, would you like to remain logged in? Yes. Yes. Because I don't want to have to remember this password again. Keep me logged in. Right? And, and when you are in Christ, you're, you're in for good, for eternity. You are in. You're in. Jesus must give us the access in which we now stand. This is access into God's holy presence. Now we can access God's holy presence daily, but the day is coming when we will actually be in the presence of God for eternity in heaven. And wow, Jesus must give us access to God. Jesus must reconcile us. Jesus must justify us. And this shows the question, do we have peace in our position with God? And then jot this down, Jesus must give us hope of heaven. Hope of heaven. It says here in verse 2, access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So what proves that we actually have this peace with God? Well, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So we rejoice. There's joy. We worship Christ. We, we thank him. We praise him. Jesus means everything to us. We're not nonchalant toward him. We're not cold toward him. We're not meh toward him. And, and we don't just like him. He's everything to us. Jesus must give us hope of heaven. We rejoice in the hope. The word hope doesn't mean, I hope I'm going to heaven. The biblical concept of hope is, hope is the future tense of our faith. Hope is a confident expectation that God's promises will come true in the future. So our faith has a past tense. We believe Jesus died and rose again. And we're saved. That's the past tense. Our faith has a present tense, which we're going to get to, where we walk with Christ every day. But our faith has a future tense, where when we look ahead, we're not wondering how this story is going to end. We already have a perfect ending. And there is power in already having a perfect ending with God. The book of Revelation tells us how it's going to end. We're going to be with him for eternity. It's done. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Right? It's finished. So Jesus must give us hope of heaven, which, which leaves you asking the question, are you living with confidence that you will dwell with God in peace forever? No matter what you've done, the only way you can have this hope is if you realize that God made promises in Christ that he cannot undo. I remember when I was early in college, just I had heard things about Jesus growing up. I knew a little about the Bible, but I remember after several conversations I was drunk in the woods at parties and arguing with my Christian friend. And I remember be, like lying awake at night, looking up at the star at the uh, ceiling, and, and just being like, "I don't think I'm going to heaven. What, what do I do about that? I don't, I don't think I'm going to heaven." And have you had that moment yet, that awakening yet? I did not have hope of heaven. 
And so I remember getting to the point where I knelt down. I had a water bed. How many of you had water beds in the 80s? They were the best thing ever. Yeah. I knelt down next to my water bed. Takes a little while to get out of those things. But th there I was. And I just knelt down and I said, Jesus, I believe you're the Savior. And I ask you to forgive me for my sins. And then I kind of opened one eye like, did it work? <laughs> All right, I'll say it again. I really mean it. And an angel didn't appear and the ground didn't shake. But I was saved. I was born again. Have you been saved? Do you have peace in your position with God? Jesus must give us hope of heaven. You have to surrender your life to Christ. God will not negotiate with you. He will not allow you to fight for little pieces of sin that you want to hold on to. You have to let go of all of it. Or the war will continue and it will destroy you in the end. You have to surrender your life to Christ. No more games with God. Do you have peace in your position with God? That's number one. Number two, jot this down. It's only a two-point message. Number two, jot this down. Do you have peace in your progression with God? So your position and now your progression. And this is a hinge. Now we're moving on to a whole different section of the book. It says here in verse three, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Do you have peace in your progression with God? It says here more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Now it sounds like those two words shouldn't go together. We rejoice, yay, in our sufferings. Ow! Yay! Ow! How do those words go together? The Bible is honest that you will suffer in this life even after you have been saved. You will suffer. I was looking through old photos on my laptop, trying to sort through them, and uh, there's all these new cool features on the phones and the laptops because there's so many pictures. They help us sort them. And there's a whole folder on my laptop that says, Happy Days. And it grabbed all the pictures from my computer where people were smiling. And it said, happy days. And I opened it up and I was like, happy days. These are all of my happiest pictures. How convenient. A little creepy. How does my computer know? These computers are getting too smart. I've seen Terminator. But, but I'm happy days. Wow. And that just makes you wonder, right? Why can't they all be happy days? And why doesn't my computer give me a folder saying terrible days? Where all the frowny faces are. And then I'd be like, oh, I remember that one. Oh, there's a screaming child. There's a sad dad. There's a, well, you know, computer doesn't want me to see those. And we want more happy days, am I right? Yeah. But there will be, there will be horrible days. What is the Bible's answer? Well, first of all, the Bible's very honest. You will have bad days. God will allow pain into your life. He will allow you to suffer and here we go to get ready. The next several chapters are all about how we move forward through this life. What won't change? First four chapters are like, here's everything that's changed. And now it's like, and here's what hasn't changed. You're still in this world. You will suffer. Do you have peace in your progression with God? What changes is as you go through the pain, you have a new relationship with God. You have a new peace in your walk. Jot this down. With Jesus, we rejoice in our suffering. We rejoice in our suffering. Too often, people have this little deal with God. They say, okay, God, 
They might not say it out loud, but they're thinking it in their soul. God, I'll behave, and then you'll give me a comfortable life. Deal? God never says deal. But we want that. I'll behave. You'll give me a comfortable life. I'll behave, and my kids won't get hurt. I'll behave, and our finances will be solid. I'll behave, and my job will be secure. I'll go to church, and people will treat me right. God says no deal. He will allow the full force of suffering from this world to hit you head on. Right? There's no list of things once you get saved. There's no list of things that God won't allow to happen to you. Now, I do think that there are many things God prevents when we pray. There will be a long list of things when you get to heaven that God said, nope, that's not coming into their life. But it's not like there's this exemption list where, well, this will never happen to us. Christ, Christians will never get cancer. Christians will never get into car accidents. He doesn't do that. You will be hit with the same trials your neighbor is hit with. We'll suffer like the rest of the world, but we'll suffer differently. Hey, this last week we suffered, didn't we? They call us Siberia now. Chicago and Siberia. Here's a picture of Chicago this last week. Got down to 50 below wind chill. The lake was like icy, and, and, and here's another picture. You can just see how the whole city was just frozen. Here's another picture. People were coping with this uh, in Chicago. They were breaking up the ice. They had to get ice-breaking vessels down the river. And so people, here's another picture. People with pets didn't know what to do. Their little ones <laughs> wouldn't go outside. Now you have dogs who struggled this last week. Yeah, my dog walked outside, froze, and then he started doing this little dance. Like, how do I... How do I not keep all my feet on the ground at the same time, you know? And uh, probably the best picture of the city I saw is this next one. You just can't believe how bad it got out there this week. It's horrible. It's horrible. We all suffered. Now, my point is this. God, God didn't bless the furnaces of Christians this last week, okay? He didn't make our coats thicker. We went through it with everyone else. And, and we are going to go through the fire in this life. You, if you're not already in a trial, you will go through the fire. God will intend it, but God has a plan for your pain. God has a plan for your pain. C.S. Lewis came to Christ later in life, and he went through bad trials. He lost his wife, and so he wrote about suffering and pain. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You knew those jobs needed doing, so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? Have you ever wondered that? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought, throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. God's building something bigger in your life than you knew, and he's using pain to get you there. When God wants to put an addition on your faith, he first swings the wrecking ball through your front window. We don't like that, but it's true. And whatever you're going through right now, God has a plan for your pain. He has a plan for your pain. Your pain is producing something precious. The hard days are producing something the easy days can't. 
The strong days are giving you a strong, or the hard days are giving you a strong and vibrant faith in God. People often ask why when we start suffering. Why? Why? Why me? Why? And if your suffering is a fool, if you're suffering for your own poor choices, then it's wise to find out why. And then to move away from those life-damaging choices. But if things just came into your life that aren't necessarily your fault, and you want to know why, well, you need one answer. One answer is God wants to give you a better relationship with Christ. That's it. He wants you to have a better relationship with Christ. That's number one. But there are actually four results of trials if you walk with Christ. You can jot these down. These are bonus notes. I'll know him better. If you walk with Christ through the fire, you will know him better. If you don't know what to pray as your life feels out of control, help me to know you better. Last thing you want when your life gets hard is a different God. The last thing you want is for the Bible to prove untrue. What you really long for is for the things that you've known about God for the longest time to prove true, right? Lord, show me that these things are still true. So ask God, help me to know you better. Also, I'll serve him better. People who have perfect lives, people who've never gone through anything, and then they, and then they get around somebody who's suffering, those people are obnoxious. Those people who really like, they're like, yeah, I've never really gone through anything like this. Get out of here. I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to the person who like almost died and then God did something amazing, right? If, if your marriage is struggling, you don't want to talk to the guy who's like, yeah, I had a fight once with my wife. Man, that was hard, but we fixed it by sunset. I don't need you. I don't need you. I need, I need the story of the couple that was separated and the papers were filed and then God did something, right? I need the long, hard stories. So you will serve God better after you've suffered. Uh, jot this down. I'll love him more. When he proves faithful to you, when he gives you a story, you'll love him more. You'll love him more. And I'll trust him more. I, I mean, when you feel like the whole world is, is just falling out from beneath your feet, when you feel like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this night, and then, and then God comes through, and will you trust him more? You will trust him more. We rejoice in our suffering. Just, just to clarify here what that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean you thank God for the hard things as if, like, you're glad about them. You're not like, thanks, God, that my right arm got amputated last night because of a, you know, freak farming accident. You don't say thank you for, for the hardship. Okay, we don't, we don't we're, not, we're not, like, morbid here. But what we say is, Lord, I know that this pain is going to serve your purpose. So thank you for your promises. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your church. Okay, you don't have to be like, I'm so glad that I got lymphoma. Like, that's not, that's weird. You don't, that's not what God wants you to do. That's not how he wants you to process these things. It's right for you to come into the presence of God and say, this pain shouldn't be happening this person shouldn't be treating me this way. My boss shouldn't be talking to me this way, okay? You have to have a sober mind about that, all right? But God, use it to grow my relationship with your son. So with Jesus, we rejoice in our suffering. Jot this down, because suffering produces endurance, character, and hope. 
It says here, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. Hope does not disappoint us. It does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So this asks the question, why? Why? Why do I rejoice? Well, because suffering produces endurance, character, and hope. What is it that you're going through? What trial right now is making your life hard? Your endurance is producing something precious. You're not wasting your time. You're not being held back from what really matters in life. God has not forgotten you. Actually, you are becoming far more aware of what is truly important. We're being transformed gradually and pain serves God's purpose. But we have to endure. Suffering produces endurance. The Greek word uh, hupomene means to remain under, often coming up in the New Testament, to remain under. You just have to stay under. You can't fail. You can't quit. You can't run. You can't fight. You just have to stay under it. And all of the good, precious things God has for you, the lessons, the stories, only come when you stay under it. And if you bail... If you run, you'll miss it all. And God will bring you back to this point again. The last thing you want is to have to go through it again. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Your character is producing something precious. You're becoming a mature, solid, seasoned, veteran soldier of Christ. You're not that day one. You have to become that. You have to grow in faith. You have to grow in maturity. And that happens when you suffer. You, you don't really know a person in their maturity until they get squeezed. Then what comes out, their words, their heart, their fears, that's when you know what's truly inside, when a person gets squeezed. One of the questions we ask as we start to evaluate if a person can be a small group leader or a deacon or an elder or a pastor is, have they suffered well? Do they have a pattern of suffering well? Or do they bail? Or do they get immature, sloppy? They get angry. How do they handle the pain in life? Endurance produces character. When God wants to grow you, he sets your faith on fire. Here's a video of gold being set on fire in a furnace. Now, if you had all this gold, a bucket full of gold, you know, and you took it to a pawn shop, you'd get some money, right? Why on earth would you treat gold so horribly as this? Whose idea was it to pour all this precious gold into a furnace? And there it goes. And this is a portrait of what God will do to your faith. He will set it on fire. He will test it <clears throat> by fire. And then, boom, it, it, it's melting, it's burning, it's horrible. God's treating me so poorly. And, and you feel like everything is just on fire around you. And why on earth would God do this? But he's purifying your faith. He's taking out all the impurities. And so what comes out on the end is gold. And here's a picture of what God is making if you endure. Your endurance is producing something precious. Your character is producing something precious. God wants you to walk with Christ through the fire. Listen, Christ went through hell for you in this earth. He didn't give up. And, and with increasing resolve, you need to become living proof of what God can do when you hold on and refuse to let go, come what may. That's his plan for your pain. Hold on and don't let go, come what may. He is hard at work. 
And it gives us the reassurance here in verse 5, hope does not put us to shame. Endurance produces character, character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The description here is that we can make it because our hearts are full of God's love. His love has been poured into our hearts. And it says that that means the Holy Spirit has been poured into our hearts. God poured the entirety of the divine into us through the Holy Spirit. It's so sad when people talk as if God's love is just dripping, dripping from above, dripping. I don't know where God is. I don't know what he's doing. I barely hear. It's like he's done not drip, drip, drip. And I'm like, have you read the Bible? In the Bible it says he poured his whole spirit. How on earth does this spirit even fit in us? The whole universe isn't big enough to contain our God, Solomon said. He doesn't fit in the container of the cosmos, and yet he's poured into our soul. God's love has been poured into our heart. He gives us his presence. He walks through it with us. How many of you have been to Niagara Falls before? Been to Niagara Falls? Yeah, we couldn't go down to the bottom because it was cold, but, but it roars. The falls are, they're roaring, right? And that's a picture of God's love pouring from heaven in an eternal stream of his love in the person of his spirit into our hearts. I've got, I've got audio here of Niagara Falls. This is what it would sound like if you were standing under the falls. And I don't know if you're imagining God's love is just dripping, giving me a little, but the Bible says he's poured his spirit. This is what's happening to you right now. People are holding their ears. Okay, you can stop it. I'm sorry. I should have told you to bring earplugs. <laughs> I'm not sorry because it made a good point. <laughs> The good point is this. God is not up there like, all right, give her another drip. Little drip, little eyedropper. He poured his spirit into your heart. He gave the entirety of divinity to you. And it's personal. The spirit is, God's holy presence is in you. That's the power of his love. And that's how we can be transformed. Because Jesus said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. But listen, some of you are sitting here today, and that's not your reality. You don't have Christ in your life. You don't have the Spirit poured into your soul because you don't have peace with God. And I want to close by giving the opportunity to reach out and receive the free gift you've heard about today, to open your heart to the endless love of God, to ask God to fill your soul forever. Don't suffer alone another day. Don't live without God another moment. Right now, open your heart to the love of Jesus Christ. Surrender and everything will change. Let's go to the Lord in prayer in response to what we heard right now. Father, we give you all the glory because you have given us love beyond our comprehension. And I know there are some people here today who haven't known this love. They haven't had your spirit. They haven't, they haven't opened their hearts to Jesus and surrendered their sin. And right here and right now, I give them a chance to make peace with God. No more games. No more half-hearted efforts at cleaning their life up. No more watching their language when they're at church. No more mowing their sin just, just short enough where they can still keep the roots. 
total, unconditional surrender right now. I pray that lives would be saved through the power of Jesus. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would fill us with the roaring stream of living water. May your spirit come into hearts right now that are longing for peace with God, and may you never leave us and never forsake us. This is our prayer, and we thank you for these precious promises that have forgiven our past, that have filled our present and sealed our future. Jesus, we give you all the glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, let's stand and sing. When peace like a river attends.